Well, we're picking up the second half of John's gospel in John chapter 13 this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 13, one through, I think I'll stop at verse 17 this morning. Uh, So let's hear God's word, John 13, one through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, not every one of you, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If, I, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God endures forever. I wonder what you would be thinking about uh, if you knew tomorrow you would die a painful, shameful death. Uh, you might be dreading the coming suffering you might be thinking about how you need people to come and comfort you. Those are things that I would be thinking about. On the night before his crucifixion, we're told what Jesus is thinking about, and it's not any of those things. Verse 1 says that he knew his time had come to pass out of this world, and uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, Jesus loves his disciples, and in this passage, we see on the night before his crucifixion the shape that that love takes. We see love in action, uh, and that's a love which also then calls us into action. And so I just have two simple points this morning, and they are Jesus' love for us and then our love 
in response. Uh, and before we get to that stunning action of love that I think we're all familiar with in washing the feet of the disciples, uh, let's look at verse three because John tells us three things about Jesus' self-awareness. Uh, three things that Jesus knew. Uh, first, Jesus knew the Father had put all things into his hands. Uh, he knew his universal sovereignty and authority. Jesus was conscious of his divine power. Uh, second, verse 3 tells us Jesus knew that he had come from God. Jesus was aware of his heavenly origin. He he knew he was not just an average Joe. He was cognizant of his own divine nature. And third, verse 3 tells us that Jesus knew he was going back to God. Uh, he knew his own divine destiny. He knew the glory uh, that was about to be restored to him. And so when Jesus rises up from the table, uh, what we might expect is for Jesus to announce uh, now is the time for you to wash my feet. Uh, we might expect the disciples to come and serve Jesus. And instead, Jesus disrobes himself, puts on a towel like a household slave, pours water in a basin, and begins to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. And actually, when you read verses 4 and 5, uh, it's a highly detailed, physical, vivid description of Jesus' actions. Uh, in, in verb after verb, the emphasis is on the physicality and the concreteness of Jesus' love. Not just that he felt love, verse 1, he, he loved his own, but he showed love. We see that in verses 4 and 5. Uh, so foot washing was a common cultural practice in Jesus' day because people didn't walk on paved streets wearing Doc Martens. Uh, they walked on, uh, they didn't walk on roads that were used by cars and were lined with houses that were hooked up to city services. Uh, they walked in sandals on roads that were dusty and muddy and uh filled with excrement from animals and houses that dumped their waste on the street. Uh, and that's why the task of washing the filth and excrement off of people's feet was the lowliest job around. It was given to the lowliest of all of the servants. Uh, and so you can't miss when we see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples uh, you cannot miss that the Lord of glory is becoming the slave, uh, right? Go back to verse three. Jesus knew the father had given all things into his hands. And those hands into which God has put all things are now washing uh, those dirty feet of the disciples. Uh, the one who came from God with sovereignty over all creation uh, is now washing the feet of the creatures that he made. Uh, and the majestic king who came from God and is going back to God, and before whom every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
he kneels down on a bended knee uh, as a servant to the disciples. Uh, and it's really amazing. And so uh, we're, getting, we're getting glimpses here of who Jesus really is. When Jesus rose from the table and laid aside his garment, uh, we get a glimpse of the eternal son laying aside his glory for us. Uh, when he put on the servant's towel, we're, we're getting a glimpse of, of the son of God taking upon himself our lowly nature. Uh, and when he poured water into that basin and washed the feet of the disciples, uh, we're getting a glimpse uh, that Jesus would pour out his blood to cleanse and wash our, our sin away. Uh, the foot washing is really showing us uh, who Jesus is and what he's come to do. He sets aside his glory. He becomes a despised servant to cleanse us. Uh, and that the Lord should become the servant feels wrong. It even feels unseemly in some way. It's, it's why Peter objects in verse 6, uh, Lord, do you wash my feet? And when Jesus says, Peter, you, you can't understand this right now, but you'll, you'll get it afterwards. Peter hardens his stance and says, you shall never wash my feet. And for, for someone who has a sense of the Lord's majesty, Peter doesn't seem to mind rebuking the Lord. Uh, it's kind of funny, you know, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. And then he ushers the Lord or uh, gives the Lord a command. Uh, what Peter is doing might at first look super humble. No, no, Lord, don't serve me like this. It's too unbecoming for someone like you. Really, I should be washing your feet. Uh, this looks super humble. He thinks he's standing up for Jesus' honor. But you can tell by Jesus' response that Peter has adopted a stance that puts him in spiritual peril. Because Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Uh, and just like when we walk on the road and our feet pick up dirt and filth and need to be washed, uh, it's the same way as we make our way through the world. We pick up the guilt and pollution and stain of sin. Uh, we have to be willing to let Jesus wash us. We have to be willing to let Jesus be our servant. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, uh, but because it is the expression of his love. And that is hard on, on our pride to say, Jesus, um, I, I, will, I will let you serve me in this way. Uh, but the foot washing is a sign that Jesus wants to wash us. He wants to cleanse us. And it's dangerous to say to Jesus, I don't need that. I don't need your love. I don't need your service. Uh, Jesus, actually, you need my service. I don't need your service. You need mine. That's a dangerous spiritual attitude. Uh, and if you think about it, if Peter won't let Jesus endure this partial humiliation, getting low and washing his feet, how will Peter embrace the total humiliation that Jesus will endure on the cross? Uh, if Peter cannot face the incongruity of the Lord washing his feet, how will he ever face the incongruity of Christ crucified, the exalted Messiah becoming a condemned criminal? 
for us. And when Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. He's saying, unless you accept me humbling myself for you here now at your feet, uh, but ultimately tomorrow in the shame of the cross, you, you can't receive, you can't have a part of my salvation. And this warning sends Peter careening in the other direction. And now instead of being super humble, he becomes super demanding, super bossy. And he issues Jesus a command. Uh, you know, none of this Presbyterian pouring stuff. Let's have an immersion. Jesus, wash my whole body, my head and my hands too. And by the way, I love how the Bible is so psychologically aware. I, I love how it captures things that are so true about our humanity. Uh, Peter, in one moment, resists letting Jesus love him. You cannot wash my feet. Uh, and then he turns around and lays down the terms for how Jesus should love him. Wash my whole body, my hands, and my feet also. And I think that this is exactly uh, what we do. Uh, we resist let, letting people love us, uh, and then we demand and lay down the terms of how uh, they should love us. We refuse love, and then we try to control what shape and form love will take. And that's exactly what Peter is doing here. And uh, to this demand, Jesus provides comforting words. And what he basically says, what he essentially says uh, in, in verse 10 is, uh, Peter, don't, don't worry. You're clean. You don't have to ask me to do more for you than I'm doing. Uh, you don't have to ask me to do more for you as if I won't give you enough as if somehow I will fail to love you in the right way, as if I'll only start the washing process and leave the rest up to you. Uh, and, and there's a great comfort in verse 10. It's a little bit of a complicated verse in that there's some different uh, readings. Your Bible might have some notes on it, but there's a great promise here that we should cling to. We don't have to instruct the Lord on how to love us. We don't have to demand more from the Lord's love as if we have to urge him to make up for some lack. So we get this great picture of the Lord's love in, um, in the foot washing. But then in verse 12, there's a very clear shift. Uh, and Jesus moves from servant mode to teacher mode. Uh, and he, he puts his outer garments back on. He resumes his place at the table. And he asks this question, do you understand what I have done for you? Uh, I've not just been serving you, Jesus is saying. I've, I've also been teaching you. And starting in verse 14, Jesus shows us that what he has done, putting love into action, is a model for us. Uh, it's, it's instructing us. In love, Jesus became a servant for us. And in love, we become a servant to others. And Jesus says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
Uh, and, and I want to note that point at the end of verse, I think it's where there it is at the end of verse 14, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Uh, the way that we reciprocate the love of Jesus is to do what he did for one another. And uh, there's a comment here that I really like by Leslie Newbigin. And let me just read it to you. It's a little long and I'll start stop part way and I'll, I'll unpack it. But th- this is what Newbigin says. He says, if Jesus has said, if Jesus had said, since I have washed your feet, you must wash my feet. Then we would be fighting with one another for the privilege of being first with the basin and the towel. Then the old order of preeminence would have been restored, thinly disguised under the name of service. And the, quote, chief minister would have become the old ruler under a new name. So let me pause for a second and make sure we understand what New Begin is saying here. If Jesus said, because I wash your feet, you must wash my feet, we would all be lining up to be first. Uh, And then instead of that being something where we lowered ourselves, it would actually be a way that we exalted ourselves and began to compete with one another. Well, what did you do today? Oh, you went to the store. Oh, you want to know what I did today? I washed Jesus' feet. That's what I did, you know, and we would compete with one another. It would be a way of making ourselves greater. And so Newbegin continues. He says, but Jesus says something which negates that possibility. You ought to wash one another's feet. This is something which subverts and replaces all normal patterns of authority. It would be impossible to draw a management chart in which A is subject to B and B is subject to A. Yet this is what is called for. The disciples are to be literally servants of one another. Uh, which is the phrase from Galatians 5. Uh, And I I love this quote. You see, those who acknowledge Jesus as their teacher and Lord must follow his example. Uh, And that example uh, is washing the feet of others. And in verse 16, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And you see, to wash someone's feet is the lowliest act. Uh, D.A. Carson makes a comment. He says there's no instance in Jewish or Roman literature anywhere of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. Jesus did that for us. And that means there is no person and no task that we can look at and say, that is below me. Uh, There is no person and no task that we can look at and say, that is below my dignity to do that or to help that person. We can only say, he washed me. Uh, And there is now no service that is too low for me in responding to his love. Uh, And this humble service in which the Lord washed the feet of his servants, it didn't diminish his dignity. It actually was his dignity, Uh, and we should see it as our dignity as well. 
Uh, you know, a question that comes up sometimes about this passage is whether Jesus is instituting a rite of foot washing that the church should continue. Uh, I, I think the focus on the practice of foot washing could lead us astray. It could make us miss the main point. Foot washing is a sign of putting love in action through humble service. It's the lowliest thing that you could do. And therefore, it's more like a question than it is an answer. It leads us to ask, am I taking the place of a servant? Uh, is there a lowly place that I need to get into so that I can build other people up? Uh, how, how am I becoming a lowly servant in my marriage, in my family, in my church, at my work, in my, com in my community? Uh, and when people look at my life, uh, when people look at our church, do they see us laying aside the garment of pride and picking up the towel and basin of service to minister uh, to each other and to the world in this way? Uh, so I want to kind of, as, as I wrap this up, circle back again to the beginning of the passage, verse three, Jesus is thinking about his heavenly identity, that all things are his. He came from God. He is returning to God. And when Jesus is thinking most of his heavenly identity, he expresses it by washing people's feet. Uh, and I, I think it's an important point. Jesus washes people's feet, not in spite of his heavenly identity, but because of it. Uh, and in Jesus, we have a heavenly identity. And scripture often exhorts us to seek the things that are above. It tells us we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 3, all things are yours, the world, life, death, the present, the future. They are all yours in Christ. Uh, and when we think about our heavenly identity, that should lead us to say, I'm going to become lowly. I'm going to find a way to serve other people. Uh, as a matter of fact, you're not really being heavenly minded if there is no place in your life where you are lowering yourself, lowering yourself in humble service to others. Uh, it, it is what a focus on the life of heaven produces. Jesus calls it in verse 17, the way of blessedness. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The blessed life is not getting rich. It's not getting famous. It's not getting powerful. So everyone serves me. The blessed life is actually knowing I am loved by the one who has been given all things, but who serves me and lowers himself to care for me. He has bestowed all on me undeservedly. And now I want to live this way for others. Uh, let's seek that kind of blessed life this week and in our communal life together. Let's pray.